Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I wanna welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Today, I'm gonna share with you a message called Leadership Blind Spots and Whitewashed Walls. It comes out of the book of Ezekiel, one of the great prophets in the history of Israel. Now, Ezekiel was a priest and the son of a priest from Jerusalem, and he lived through the exile of Israel in 586 BC when the temple was temple of God was destroyed uh, by Babylon. It was an unimaginable event. It was unthinkable that Babylon, which was you know filled with idolat- idols and was considered demonic, corrupt, fallen, that they appear victorious and they and and they destroyed and wiped out, raised the temple in Jerusalem where God's presence and power and glory dwelled. And God's people appeared totally defeated. Israel was dismembered. And it seemed that history, Israel's history, God's people's history, was coming to an end. It was an overwhelming event. Uh, as, God, as far as God's people could see at that, at that moment, it looked like the world was ending. But Israel, was one of God's prophets in that time, uh, was living among them. And, and so the people were dislocated and suffering and traumatized and humiliated. Uh, really not that different than... I think uh, some of God's people express today, uh, but Ezekiel receives this revelation, uh, clarity and insight as a prophet. Uh, and he speaks to his day, of course, at the uh, end of the uh, sixth century, but he also speaks to us today. Uh, and he doesn't focus uh, first on the pagan nations around him. Uh, in our case, it would be, he doesn't speak first to the secular events happening or the culture but he speaks to God's people, especially to her leadership. And he cuts through the superficiality of Israel's relationship with God, one that looked good on the outside, but inside was not so good, was rotting. He calls her whitewashed walls. And if you remember, Jesus uses that word whitewashed, uh, referring to the religious leaders of his day, he calls them whitewashed tombs. Uh, that is, they looked beautiful on the outside, but inside, Jesus said, they're full of dead bones. So in this penetrating text from Ezekiel 13, God speaks to us today to our own blind spots and superficiality. It's really an amazing text. So as you lish, listen, let me invite you to, to listen carefully to the three invitations from God that are foundational for us towards the end of the sermon that will hopefully enable us to eliminate our blind spots or at least minimize them and ensure that we're living with integrity. That is that what we think and value and preach and believe on the inside is actually being lived on the outside of our lives. That is no small task. So with that, let me invite you to listen in here on this message that is called Leadership Blind Spots and Whitewashed Walls. Enjoy. Well, let me begin with a, uh, an image of something that happened to me over the last, uh, about three weeks ago, that this is my, our backyard, and uh, uh, this is a tree that fell. We have one tree in our backyard, and a third of it fell. If you remember, there was a little storm that, that with some really high winds that came through parts of Queens and the Bronx uh, a few weeks ago. And so, uh, uh, actually, what you don't see here is that a portion of the tree fell down, and it fell actually on the neighbor's house. And uh, they had already gotten it off the house. And busted through part of their roof and all that. They weren't very happy uh, with us. What can I say? And so this is, you know, I realize we have to move this, Marcus. Can we move this thing here? This is not working. So um, let's move it over there. 
uh, what you'll see is the size of this tree. It's, a, it's actually considered one of the largest trees in Queens. It's over 100 years old. Some arborists would say it's 150 years old, uh, pre-Civil War. And so every time there was actually a, uh, a breakout of the Asian longhorn beetle, for example, the city of New York would send people to our house to look at our tree to make sure it wasn't damaged. It was that kind of a valuable tree. We love this tree. It provides lots of shade. actually provides shade uh, for uh, five different homes. It's that large, a, a, a top. So it's a massive tree. It actually has three trunks to it, not one trunk. And that grew. And so what happened when this wind came, one of the trunks fell. And actually, Jerry was standing right there about 10 feet away when it fell. Would have killed her instantly. Uh, massive tree. And if it had fallen on a house, would have crushed, went right through a house. Uh, really, that, that large a tree. And so uh, this is what happened. As it fell over, it exposed that inside one of these three trunks, water had gotten in. And thus it began to rot from the inside. Now, if you look at this tree, externally, extremely healthy tree. Uh, no way you could look at this tree and see anything wrong with it from the outside. And it was only a matter of time, since it was rotting slowly over a long period of time. Uh, as water got in there, uh, it began to decay and probably some you know, carpenter ants or termites got in there. And it was only a matter of time before some wind was going to hit it, it was going to fall over. And, uh, and there it was. And so... Um, it, it, what's so we, brand, we began to bring some tree people over to look at it, and uh, we loved this tree. Uh, and the problem was it looked healthy, but foundationally it, the trunk could not support the weight of the size of the tree. And so initially tree removers came in and just wanted to cut it down, the whole thing down, and make a lot of money. So we figured we don't know if we trust them, and we love our tree. And so we went the route of talking, you know, bringing some people in who were what's called arborists, who didn't have a financial gain in what happened with the tree, to see, could this tree be saved health-wise? And we actually learned a great deal over a two-week period about trees. And uh, we found out that we had blind spots, and uh, that while it looked great on the outside, it was not healthy on the inside. And that, yes, the whole tree does need to come down. Because uh, that rot is not going to decrease. It's going to only increase and spread. And that it's dangerous. And uh, again, if you look at the size of that tree, if this thing fell on another house, it would kill people. And we realized we, we could not have that. And so as much as we love the tree, uh, it's, it's not going to stand. And so it, it really is a very great image of really what's happening here in the book of Ezekiel, actually in all the prophets. We've been in the prophets almost a year. And I realize we can't leave the prophets unless we have one message on this theme which is found here in Ezekiel 13, but it's also found in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, uh, all three books. And it's this theme of blind spots and this theme of whitewashed walls. Uh, and, and that the people of their day during Ezekiel's time, five, six hundred years before Christ, it looked good on the outside, their spirituality. Uh, they were doing all the right things, apparently. Uh, they're praying, reading the Bible, going to synagogue, worshiping and all that. But inside, the prophets are coming and saying, it's rotten. Inside, things are not like as they appear to be. And that you need a radical reconstructive surgery here. There's got to be some cutting and some rebuilding here. And there was other false teachers that were speaking. In fact, the great majority of teachers and prophets and priests at that time were all speaking a different message than Ezekiel. They're saying, let the tree stay. It's going to be just fine. Ezekiel is a lone voice like Isaiah and Jeremiah saying, things are not fine. They are a whitewashed wall and you have huge blind spots. And that unless you address them, this, your life, your spirituality is going to crash and burn. And so it's here, we're going to start reading in verse 10 to verse 14. 
and 15, as Ezekiel gives this uh, powerful critique and a very picturesque uh, image of the state of their spiritual lives. And we're meant to look at our own spiritual lives, of course, out of it. And uh, again, as I said two weeks ago, this is why many rabbis would say, do not read the book of Ezekiel if you are under 30 years old, uh, because it really is one of those books that just cuts right to you and sometimes has some very uh, meaty, difficult truths to swallow. And I actually believe this week is one of them. And I've been wrestling with this text now for a few weeks. So let's read. Thus says the Lord, verse 10 of chapter 13 of Ezekiel. Because they lead, they is referring to the false prophets and other teachers, because they lead my people astray, saying peace when there is no peace. And because when a flimsy wall is built, they cover it with whitewash, they paint it. Therefore, tell those who cover it with whitewash that it is going to fall. Rain will come in torrents and I will send hailstones hurling down and violent winds will burst forth. And when the wall collapses, will people not ask you, where is the whitewash you covered it with? Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. In my wrath, I will unleash a violent wind. And in my anger, hailstones and torrents of rain will fall with destructive fury. I will tear down the wall you have covered with whitewash and will level it to the ground. So its foundation will be laid bare. And when it falls, you will be destroyed in it, and you will know that I am the Lord. Let me read that verse 14 one more time. I will tear down the wall you have covered with whitewash, and will level it to the ground, so that its foundation will be laid bare. So here's what God's saying. Now, they understood walls in ancient Jerusalem. And, um, and, and so Jerusalem was surrounded by a wall. What he's saying is, he's contrasting, this is a, uh, this is a wall, this, this thing to my right hand. This is a, a whitewashed wall. See, it's flimsy. And these are the bricks they painted on it, our great building group people here at New Life. And, uh, but it's very shaky. And this here is a small, solid wall. Right from the walls of our building. You can't see it here, but it's a very solid piece of a wall, which somehow they got up here on the stage for this morning. But you've got to see the contrast here of a flimsy wall, shaky, Looks good on the outside, but it's not, versus a solid wall. And that's what he's contrasting here uh, to them. And he says, you folks, uh, you people, my people in Jerusalem, you've constructed a flimsy, shoddy wall. You just you put stones one on top of the other without cement, without mortar. Uh, you didn't fit it together properly. And then you painted over it to make it look like a wall. You whitewashed it, and it's standing, and you think everything's fine. It's not solid like this. And he goes, I'm telling you, says the Lord, it's a false strength. You've, you look like you're solid, but you're not. And you built it very quickly. And you cannot build your spiritual life quickly. And, uh, and so I, I like the, the message translation. When a flimsy wall is built, they cover it with whitewash. So you, you put something up quick in your spiritual life. You cover it over and you move on. And God says this. This thing is not safe. This is not sound. You say peace and there is no peace. And I'm telling you, says God, this thing is going to collapse. Because the foundation is not solid. It's like inside of our tree, it's rotting. And um, there is a need for a drastic reconstruction and, and repair. And so these false prophets are condemned all through Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Because they're perpetuating illusions. They're telling people what they want to hear. Everything is fine. And they're doing it deliberately and consciously. And Ezekiel goes wild. And, uh, and so he says, this thing is going to fall down. So I like the term, it's a whitewashed wall. 
because they have blind spots and they can't see it. Now, a blind spot is an expression. Uh, it actually comes out of optometry. A blind spot is actually an eye disease that, that people with a blind spot in their retina, they actually can't see certain you know, sections of their sight. The, 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 the cells are dead. Now, we use it as an expression in English. We say a person has blind spots. And what that means is they can't see their own flaws, their own failures, their own mistakes, their own sins, their own inconsistencies, their own contradictions. We say that person's got blind spots. And what Ezekiel's trying to do here, he's trying to help them see their blind spot, that they've built a flimsy wall here in their spirituality, in their life, and it's not going to hold. And this is not solid, but they're having a very difficult time seeing it. And uh, because in, in Ezekiel's time, they're not listening to God. They're basically doing their own will. They're worshiping the true and living God, but they're also worshiping the gods of Babylon as a result. They're, they're, be, they're under discipline. Things aren't going well in their lives, and they're still not getting their message. The message. God's disciplining them. You know, the Babylonians are coming and taking, you know, exiling some of the people away. The walls are falling down, but they're still, they're not getting it. And so that's why Ezekiel comes in such force, if you read the whole chapter, to them. Now, every time you see somebody with a blind spot, I suspect you say what I say. How could they not see what's so obvious? You see their hypocrisy. You're saying, I don't get it. They're judgmental. They're defensive. And they're saying, I'm not defensive. I'm not. I'm not defensive. Tell me anything you want. And you're like, yeah, yeah, you know. And, 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 and you say, how could they live with such obvious inconsistencies? And the answer is very easily. It's very easy. We do it all the time. We do it just like they did in Ezekiel's day. You know, you say, God, your will be done. Yes, God. Yes, God. But really, you know, when God leads us in a path we don't like, we say, no, no, I don't think so. When the suffering or difficulties in the Christian life and the journey get more than we prefer, what do we do? Many of us, we quit. We say, I'm out of here. Call me God when things improve. We pray like crazy. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. You know, in his prayer meetings, his churches that pray like crazy. Oh, God, do it. But really driven by fear. Anxiety, as if they're not praying at all. As Rich mentioned last week, it's very easy to say, I believe in God, but I function like I'm an atheist, as if there is no God. I'm amazed. I think mean, one of the great, great um, contradictions is it's amazing. Some of the folks who are most zealous for grace of God in the gospel and make sure we preach grace and not a works righteousness, very often within the Christian community are some of the most judgmental, unapproachable, and cold people. Folks with the best doctrine are the least loving. And you're saying, I don't get it. And their level of defensiveness and unapproachability and hardness, it's very difficult to figure out what's going on here. And we're saying, yeah, what's wrong with that person? Absolutely hypocrite, you know. And, and um, you know, we believe in the dignity of all human beings, right? And the value of people, absolutely we give money for the poor around the world. And then we end up objectifying people. End up going to strip clubs on Friday night and worship on Sunday morning, you know, and, and or folks in pornography. And you're saying, this isn't consistent, objectifying folks. And you're serving a God who values human beings made in his image. And, and this kind of ability to, that flimsy walls. And just, it happens very slowly over time. Before you know it, it's like, I don't know, it's like normal. And everyone else is doing it around us and we don't think twice about it. And so, the issue of Ezekiel is very simple. He's saying, the issue is not trimming the tree. And I got some quotes from tree removal people said just trim the tree it'll be okay but i really wasn't sure they were correct because i was getting different opinions and it wasn't until the experts came in who were very clear saying this is unsafe this problem is much deeper than a tree trim 
And what Ezekiel is saying is that we talk about whitewashed walls and blind spots. We are not talking about trimming our lives. We're getting to something fundamental and deep in terms of change. So that we minimize our blind spots. And that we stop or at least are aware when we're building something very flimsy. And that we actually take the time to move slowly to build cement or solid buildings. Okay, or foundations in our life. It really because this really was the issue for Jesus in his day with the Pharisees. If you remember, he says, Pharisees in Matthew 23, you hypocrites, you are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. I know, what a wonderful sermon. <laughs> but this was the primary issue for Jesus as well. I mean, with the religious leaders of his day. And, and of course, I want to point fingers and judge everybody else. But of course, as you know, every text in scripture, you must first go like this. And so for me, it's been very challenging to look at this and, and wrestle with it. Well, what is, why is it such a big theme in Ezekiel and then Jeremiah and Isaiah? God, what are you trying to say? And what's your word for us at New Life Fellowship Church? Like, we're doing okay, aren't we, Lord? I'm not so bad. But the more I pondered it and dug in this text, I realized I cannot skip it. That we must spend at least a week looking at it, which we're doing today. So as I unpack this, I, I want to make a distinction between self-justification and lying now let me explain that think of we, we lie you know people we lie but when you lie you know you lie like you maybe you lie to your boss because you don't want to lose your job but you know you know you lie or, or you lie because you don't want to get sued by somebody or or you lie to avoid the anger of your parents or your spouse or uh or to save your skin so, but you lied and you, you know you don't feel good about it but at least you know it this thing ezekiel's talking about is deeper than a lie it's really something called self-justification. It's, it's basically, it's more dangerous and powerful because here you, act, you, you actually lie to yourself and you persuade yourself that you've actually done a good thing. You're actually con- convinced that this has been good when really the whole thing's a lie. And so it allows people... To convince themselves they've done, they've done the best thing they could possibly do. In fact, it was the right thing. It was brilliant. It was brilliant. And it's called self-justification. And that's why a hypocrite can never see themselves in action. Because you can't, you can't see it because you're in it. It's beyond lying into what we call self-justification. Let me, let me give you two examples around. And, and I'll use the issue of racism and prejudice. Because it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's such a clear, obvious category um, where... If you don't see that you have blind spots or know that you have blind spots, as you enter into it, you end up in a disastrous place. So uh, this first story is a true story about a guy named Al Campinas, Campinas, who was formerly the general manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers. And uh, he was part of their organization for over 40 years. He actually was, as a player for the Los Angeles Dodgers in 1940s, he was there when Jackie Robinson was the first black Major League Baseball player entered into the Major Leagues. It was a huge thing. Um, and he, as a white guy, actually defended Jackie Robinson, was, was, was a big proponent of it. Um, he actually punched a player of an opposing team that made a racial slur against Jackie Robinson. Teammates, good friends. Um, and so he eventually became manager of the Dodgers and general manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers. And then at age 81, he's still working for the organization. And he, he's on an interview show with Ted Koppel of Nightline, which is a famous interview show which recently went off the air. 
And so Ted Koppel's asking him questions about why aren't there black managers or general managers in professional baseball? This is late 1980s. And so Al uh, Camp uh, Pinnis begins by saying, well, you know, you have to work your way up. It takes a long time. But, but Ted Koppel kept pressing in the interview and saying, yeah, I know. But why is there so much prejudice in Major League Baseball? And so Camp Pinnis says, finally, he says, well, I don't really believe it's prejudice. I just believe that they may not have some of the things needed to be a field manager or a general manager. And so Ted Koppel was like, huh? you know, do you really believe that? And Campinas says, well, I, I didn't say all of them, but they certainly are short. You know, how many quarterbacks do we have? You know, how many pitchers do you have that are black? And you know, two days later, uh, Al was fired by the Los Angeles Dodgers. A big, big thing. But here was a man who liked and respected black baseball players, who defended Jackie Robinson at a time when it was not popular to do so. But he had a blind spot. I mean, as a general manager, he was in a position to actually recommend black managers for the team. But his blind spot kept him from even considering that possibility. He was blind to his own prejudices. You see, as you deal with, we're a cross-cultural church, you know, multiracial church, 65 countries. If you're not aware that you have blind spots, I don't care what culture you're crossing, you're dangerous. Because we all got them. They're everywhere. I mean, another very popular story comes from a guy named Gordon Alport. Some of you may have read his book. It was a famous book in colleges, some high schools, called The Nature of Prejudice. And he wrote about this conversation, a true conversation, 50 years ago in his book. Uh, and as, as he was confronting a prejudiced man, this man was prejudiced against Jewish people. Okay? And this is the conversation went. He was trying to help this man see his blind spot. Okay? So Gordon Alport says, uh, no, so, so the man says, he's interviewing, he's called Mr. X, we'll call him. Mr. X says, the trouble with Jews is they only take care of their own group. Then Mr. Y, you know, Mr. Gordon Alport says, but, but the record of, the, of their giving shows that they give more generously in proportion to their numbers to the general charities of the community than do non-Jews. Mr. X, that shows they're always trying to favor and intrude into Christian affairs. They think of nothing but money. That's why there's so many Jewish bankers. The interviewer says, but a recent study shows that the percentage of Jews in the banking business is negligible, far smaller than the percentage of non-Jews. Mr. X, that's just it. They don't go in for respectable businesses. They're only in the movie business or nightclubs. And so the conversation goes on. But you see, you know, Mr. X does not want to respond to the evidence. He just goes to another reason to defend his blind spot. He's not open to it. Most people, when they're confronted with evidence that they're wrong, they don't change their point of view. They actually, they, they sink in deeper to justify more strongly their position. Have you had that conversation with people? It's amazing, isn't it? It doesn't matter what logic, what evidence there is. It's, it's worse than ever. So that's why the prophets are so important to read. Because the prophets are relentless about spirituality. You see, the world exists with lots of whitewashing walls and lots of blind spots. I mean, I could give illustrations about politics. We could have a comedy show right now, all right? But we're not going to do that. I mean, just think of politics and blind spots. Think of the legal profession for a moment. Think of the medical profession. Think of where you work and the blind spots. 
at your workplace, whether you work for a, a nonprofit, a city agency, or in the corporate world or finance. I mean, think of your boss or your supervisor and the blind spots. Or the folks who work for you, your employees or your, or your co-workers. That's why that, that show, that sitcom, The Office, with Steve Carell, is so popular because he's got so many blind spots. And he's like, it's, it's, it's so crazy. He's supposed to be in charge. And it's, he's got one big blind. I was embarrassed when I first saw the show. I'm like, oh, oh, Lord. You know? But you see, the point of Ezekiel here is they lead my people astray saying peace when there is no peace. Because when a flimsy wall is built, verse 10, they cover it with whitewash. In the church, this doesn't happen. The point of among the people of God, we don't participate in what is a given outside. What is so normal in the workplace, in politics, in advertising, in mass media, we ourselves actually deal with the issues of whitewashed walls and blind spots. Because of God's grace, it's a safe place. We're safe with God. We're safe within ourselves. We actually have the courage to go down this road. And we actually are a community that, by God's grace, lives in the truth about ourselves. And we actually are getting free that we are a blessing and a gift to those around us. But make no mistake about it. It's here. The church of the living God, which we move away from whitewashed walls, which is going on around us. Maybe your family did it. Your culture does it. When we move to building solid walls, we actually move away from our blind spots as much as possible and get into reality. So, when you hear this expression, it's so funny at the first service, some folks said to me, Oh, I I wish so-and-so had heard this message, you know. I'm like, oh, you missed the message, you know. (laughs) Because when you see someone, whether it's on TV or whatever, and you're saying, what a total contradiction. You say, how can they live with themselves? How can they go to bed at night? How can they put their head on the pillow and close their eyes? And the answer is, it's easy. We do it all the time. Very easy to self-justify and convince yourself. So, how do we get out of this? How do we live with integrity? Because really, this is about integrity. What Ezekiel's saying is, hey, what you believe on the inside, live on the outside. What you value on the inside, live on the outside. What you think is important on the inside... Live on the outside. And so let's take this apart now. Let's, I want to really, how do I come out of this? That's really the question. How do I get free from whitewashing walls and my own blind spots? Because I've got plenty. I need a serious set of glasses. Someone said I need laser surgery. My my daughter said to me last night. (laughs) So here's number one. I got three basic uh, principles. And I, as I'm trying to walk this out myself. The first is this. I'm using the word I. To recognize I have blind spots and make mistakes. Let me tell you something. That's a big one. Just, just try for a moment. Take a deep breath. And try saying it to yourself. It's really quite challenging. Yeah. Ah, okay. I have blind spots. And I make mistakes. Oof. Wow. Especially if you come from a background where if you made a mistake, you got smashed. I have blind spots. Because most of us spend our lives on a cover-up. It was Aldous Huxley who said, there's probably no such thing as a conscious hypocrite. Some people cannot admit any blind spots. Do you know those folks? Some folks are so well-protected. That even when they make the smallest mistake, it's somebody else's fault. But for most of us, we have certain areas of our lives that we just will not go there. 
They're just, we'll admit the mistakes and this, this, and this, but don't go here, here, and here. And um, that's why humility has been called throughout church history is the number one virtue, the number one character quality in the Christian life. They have all the character qualities to cultivate. There is no greater one than humility. Humility is the number one, humility is number two, and humility is number three. But I say, if you get that one off, you're off on that one, the rest of them all fall. But if you get that one right, the rest of them will, will come. So last night I asked my family over dinner, do I have any blind spots? <laughs> Three of my daughters were at the table. But I quickly changed the topic. It's actually pretty scary. My wife said she has to think about it. She says it's too deep a question to give a superficial answer. You know, Robert E. Lee was a great leader in the Confederacy uh, in the Civil War. And um, in the Battle of Gettysburg, he made a tragic, tragic miscalculation that led to uh, half of his army, they say uh, 12,500 men, half his force being slaughtered uh, within an hour. And uh, here's what he said at the end of that battle. He says, all this has been my fault. If, and I asked more of my men than should have been asked of them. He had them charge up a hill and they got slaughtered. It takes tremendous courage to say that. Some of you know Dwight Eisenhower and the story of D-Day, June 6th, 1944. And a very, very famous letter, which he made public um, at that time, June 6th was D-Day when, when all the Allies uh, landed on the shores of France and Europe to, uh, you know, to conquer Nazi Germany. And as that battle began, he wrote a letter. And he wrote a letter of in case it failed, because it was a high risk of failure. And he wrote the first letter where he uses what's called the passive voice in English. And he says, oh, you know, the resistance was stronger than we thought, something like that. And he goes, and the troops have been withdrawn, you know, period. But then he, he crossed it out and he wrote the letter again. And at the end of the letter, he says this. If there's any blame or fault, it is mine and mine alone. Very rare to find a politician like that. It's mine and mine alone. And um, he was able to say, I, I, I make mistakes. In Watergate, some of you may have been around during Watergate. So Watergate was that big scandal with Richard Nixon in the early 1970s. And if you remember, there was a huge cover-up around Watergate. Nobody wanted to admit the lies. That's why it kept, it kept increasing and eventually led to you know, Richard Nixon resigning. The only president's ever resigned from office. But uh, the key guy who, who basically uh, broke into the, the Democratic National Headquarters was a guy named Jeb Stuart Magruder. And uh, he was the guy who burglarized, wiretapped lied under oath, covered up, and this guy went all out. And uh, he was the key player in that whole scandal. And uh, he concealed it. So when he finally got caught, imprisoned, he finally looked at his blind spot. I mean, he looked at himself in the mirror. Very, it, I, I knew one pastor got caught in adultery, you know, and he, and he, was selling, uh, he was saying, the only people generally who confess are those who get caught. It takes a lot for people to come out of their blind spots. And, but Jeb Magruder said, wrote this in his autobiography. He said, nobody forced us to break the law. 
we could have objected to what was happening or resigned in protest. Instead, we actually convinced ourselves that wrong was right. And we plunged ahead. There is, there is no way to justify burglary, he writes. No way to justify wiretapping, perjury, and all the elements of cover-up. He writes, we were completely wrong. Let me tell you something. We just get that principle alone, it will impact everybody around us. The ability to say, I have blind spots. And you know what? I make mistakes, and we own it. But the second is related, and it's this, that I need to listen to other people. And uh, now again, just a, a quote. I need to listen to other people, but as you know, there are people out there who like to hurt us and trample on us. There are abusive people. There are people that have PhDs in basically pointing out other people's faults. So, you know, if you love to point out other people's flaws, don't, okay? But you really do want to have people who love you and care for you and create an environment where they can speak into you and point out um, flaws and blind spots and whitewashed walls. You see... The danger is when you no longer have anybody in your life who can call you to account, who can point things out to you, that's when you're in big danger. Now, once you're in authority and in power or have any level of success, it is much more difficult to do. For example, when you become a parent and you have a child, it's very difficult to see one's blind spots. Now, Steve Treat, who we brought in here last year to speak, he's probably one of the most expert, um, he was my, one of my professors in graduate school, and probably one of the most excellent teachers on parenting that I've ever met. And he said to us at New Life in his seminar, he says, if you're a parent, whether it's a toddler, you know, young child, you know, teenager, preteen, you know, young adult, regardless of your kid's age, every year, take them out for coffee or ice cream, sit them down at a table and say to them, how am I doing? Ask your child, how am I doing as a parent? Is there anything that you want to recommend that I can improve? Now, you'd only say that if you recognize that you had blind spots. And that you can easily whitewash walls. Very humble statement to make. Very powerful thing to do. Try it, parents, you know. Some of you, some of your children, adult children, you're saying, I want to do that with my mom. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> you're missing the heart of the message, okay? Some of you know at your workplace... Um, You're thinking to yourself, hmm, yes, I hope my supervisor does that to me. And some of you are familiar with a uh, a job review tool called a 360, which means that um, if I'm reviewing, uh, I'm getting reviewed by the elders, for example, and they're going to ask 14 or 15 people that work under me, who worked laterally next to me, as well as those who work above me, to, to talk about what it's like to work with Pete Scazzaro. And they're going to give a 360 fully so that my blind spots are revealed, recognizing that even one person is not enough. That I'm inviting. I know one fellow says, every year I get 10 to 14 people to do a 360 in my evaluation. I said, you do? Because, yeah, actually, I, I, I propose it. I initiate it. Because I want to hear it. I'm so aware of the fact that I don't have flaws, my flaws. And I thought to myself, oh, goodness, you know. I mean, I thought, oh, new life, you know. I mean, believe me, our... our you know, the staff here talk pretty honestly to me, more honestly than I invite, to be honest. And I, you know, I go into a staff meeting and Jack will say, if he was, ah, Pete, you did this, 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 this. I'm like, that wasn't me. That was me on Sunday morning preaching. That was a demon in that meeting, I'll tell you. Faking it was me, actually. But as you know, it's amazing when people give you feedback, you're like, really? That me? Like, I gave that off? Like, 
You picked that up in my tone of voice? I mean, what? And, and it's a shocker. Because we don't know how we come off because so few people ever give us honest feedback. And we're so afraid to create the environment to give us honest feedback that really you can go decade after decade after decade and you can build a whole church community that's supposed to be a counterculture to the world that's all built on whitewashed walls and blind spots. And there's a fear of actually going there because I don't feel safe. Now I understand why, as you know, I, I, I study monasteries a lot and, and monastic communities. They will not let anybody in a monastery live alone until they've been deeply immersed in community for many years. Because they know that community, now I understand it, because when you live alone, you can convince yourselves of all kinds of things. Some of you have isolated yourselves so nobody can speak into your life. Oh, yes. Because you're afraid of what might come out. You better, you better believe it. The tree might be rotted on the inside. But God loves you and wants to actually heal that tree of your life. And so part of the purpose of the church is you're saying, someone said to me, Pete, I didn't come here this morning to hear about the rottenness in my tree. I know. But God brought you here because he loves you and wants you to be whole and set you free. And so you're allowing yourself to say, I'll I'll let God maybe point out some blind spots I've got in my life that I'm not looking at. That maybe I'm not as open as I think I am in certain areas of my life because he's trying to get to me. That's why it says in Proverbs 15, 22, in the abundance of counselors, there is wisdom. You know, if you read, I recommend, I, I'm, you know, I recommend a great book, Team of Rivals. It's about Abraham Lincoln's uh, presidency. Great book. And, uh, but she talks about the author, Doris Kearns Goodwin, about what made Lincoln such a rare, great president was this quality of surrounding himself with people who saw things differently. So when he won the election, he took his four opponents on the other political party and he brought them into his cabinet. Now, the Civil War had broken out and they were just, you know, he made sure they were for the Civil War. It wasn't like they were against the Civil War, but they differed with Abraham Lincoln on how to actually execute the war. And Lincoln wanted those different points of view so he could make a good decision. He was going to make the decision, but he really wanted to hear their friction. Because Lincoln was so humble and broken about his own blind spots. That even with the enormous power he wielded, he wanted to hear from folks. So my question is, who can speak to you today? Who can ask you questions? Are there one, two, three people that can do that? That you know will not just tell you what you want to hear. Now, this is painful. Can I hear an amen for that? And I hate it. But these are the times of growth. This is what it's about in growing up. To learn to say, that that we can learn to say the simple but difficult reality, I made a mistake. I need to understand what went wrong. And I will try not to make that mistake again. Very simple. Nothing too complicated about that. But very, very humble to do. All right, let me close with this. There's a third recognition that I, I, I believe that we've got to embrace if we're going to actually deal with our blind spots and whitewashed walls. Because this is a lifelong task. And that is, I need to, I have them, I need to listen, but I also need to build a hidden life with God. Now you see, in Ezekiel's day, they weren't just in denial. Uh, they had a lot of rules. You know, Christian life had some rules around it, you know. And it looked good, looked right. But they missed the heart of the matter, which is, they weren't reflective. They weren't building rhythms. They weren't thoughtful. They weren't prayerful. They weren't developing their personal relationship with the living God. And so they built a quick spirituality that all kinds of blind spots. It's just like earthly marriage can become stale and stiff, look good on the outside, but inside it's rotting, right? 
Same thing with your spiritual life. It, 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 you, you can build a life, a spiritual life that looks okay on the outside. You're kind of getting along, like Ezekiel's day, but it's not really going anywhere. Because to build this kind of a solid wall takes a lot of time. It's a whole life. And that's why for me at New Life, I mean, we talk a lot about emotionally healthy spirituality, our rule of life. I want you to know I, I have one goal. My, my goal is, is that you would cultivate your relationship with Jesus when nobody's looking. That you will have, you'll do Sabbath when you're alone. Because you've got a rhythm that God's the center of your life. You'll do offices. You'll pause morning, midday, evening, and remember God. I don't care if it's for five minutes. So that when you're working or playing or walking the streets of Manhattan, you're remembering his presence. You're communing with a living God. But I'm so committed to emotionally healthy skills that we actually learn how do we love people authentically. And not just say it with our words, but actually walk it out. And, and nothing can substitute for that week after week, year after year, building a life. A hidden life which nobody sees with God. So that when storms come, you know what? You're standing. And you're saying to yourself, okay, I'm in a storm. And it's not so much why this suffering, but I'm asking God, what is the meaning of this suffering in my life that you have for me right now? It's a whole different way of approaching suffering. God, what's the meaning for it? How are you coming to me in this? That's a mature way that you just got to walk through it because you're built. I need to build a hidden life and I need to keep doing it every day, every week, every month. Because you know what? So quickly, I'll be in blind spots and a flimsy wall and a storm will knock me down. But the Christian life is a daily life because I live in this communion with God. I'm safe in his love. So you know what? I can go to Marcus and say, Marcus, hey, how are you experiencing me today? As I ask you to put up that, you know, oh, he goes, I'm like, ooh, you know, but, I, but I've got an identity. My self-esteem and my worth is built on the love of God for me. See, I'm very appreciative that Jesus died for my hypocrisy. I've got plenty of it. He died for that too. He died for all my sins, past, present, and future. And so the Christian life is really communing and living in the love of God. It's an experience of the love of God that I'm, we're seeking to cultivate, that you have this experience all the time, 24-7, not just here on Sunday morning or in small group or on a retreat, but we're living in the love of God that it's, I can, I'm safe in myself and in God to go out there and say, oh, I have blind spots and I make mistakes. Oh, Helen, you know, I want to listen to any things you see on my, my life right now that are some blinders that I can't see that are going on. Friends, that takes a rootedness in Christ. So, let's close, let me close with this as the worship team comes. This is a quote from Lao Tzu, that Chinese philosopher, 2,500 years ago. But I, I, as I read it, I, I liked it because I, it expresses to me the theme of the prophets of Ezekiel, which goes like this. A great nation is like a great man. When he makes a mistake, he realizes it. Having realized it, he admits it. Having admitted it, he corrects it. He considers those who point out his faults as his most benevolent teachers. And maybe instead of hating those people who are pointing out your faults, they may be God's gift to you. Remember, the Bible has two truths. One is... You are great. You are made in God's image, and God's got a great plan for your life. He really does. There's this tremendous good in you, and your, your life is really meant to function, to bless and serve other people. Don't ever, you're alive. He's, he's given you a great deal. You've got the positives over here. Hold on to that, but you also got to hold this other biblical truth is you're not to be trusted. You're flawed. You've got blind spots, and you're a sinner. 
and we, and we, if, we, if you go either one too much, you end up in heresy. But you hold these two biblical truths together. In Ezekiel's day, they were not holding on to this blind spot reality and their, and their ability to whitewash. And so God's invitation is from Ezekiel 22, 30, which says this. God says, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall. See, that's a life of integrity, truth, solidness. And stand before me in the gap. That is, build a wall that can serve other people on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found none. They just, he couldn't get the people out of the flimsy spirituality, the superficiality that surrounded them. So, let's all stand for a moment. What are your fears about making mistakes and about appearing flawed? This is from David in Psalm 23. Remember, you know, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And then he has this one beautiful line. He leads me beside quiet waters. One of the ways you know the hand of God, I know the hand of God is, oh, even though circumstances may be difficult, I can sense the waters are quiet because I realize he led me here. So in your life right now, my question to you is, God is leading you to quiet waters. But it's a quiet water which exposes blind spots, whitewashed walls, heals the rot inside that tree and, and makes you new and sets us free. So I invite you to just close your eyes for a moment and, and hear these words of the Lord. And just take 30 seconds and hear this word of God for you. He leads me. And put your name in there. He leads Pete. He leads Joe. He leads Marcus. Beside quiet waters. Take a deep breath and just surrender your whole life to the love of God who is safe for you. And so, Lord, may we allow you to lead us right now to a quiet water, to your Son, in Jesus' name. Amen.